Welcome to What's Left to Do. I'm your host, Janelle. This week's episode with Faison starts out with me busting his balls for how stern I remember him being during the primary campaign. And then we quickly transition into me feeling like an asshole because he's actually a very gentle and fun creature. Faison has a fascinating story of being a child of immigrants, suddenly cast out onto the margins of his tight-knit Pakistani community, then finding his way back to his roots as a Muslim by integrating the spiritual and the political. alike. We're still out on the road and this interview is being conducted in the lovely ATL, uh, my second home. Love this place. Who do we have the pleasure of sitting with today? Well, I'll tell you. Thank you for asking. Uh, This man maybe single-handedly won us the state of California during the 2020 primary because he didn't have time for my bullshit or anyone else's. He has a stare that will burn a hole through your soul. Don't waste my time, okay? Got a goddamn election to win. It's Faison. What's up? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) What an introduction. (laughs) What's up, Faison? Say what's up to the people. What's up? What's up? How are you doing? Oh my God, I could not be more overjoyed to actually be seeing Janelle. Okay, let me tell you something. He's lying because joy is not the word he thinks of when he thinks of me. But it's pain. okay. Sorry, I meant I could not be more pain <laughs> sitting here there we in go. Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> that's, a little, that's a little closer to the truth. No, I'm joking. Uh, no, Faison was a very that's, that's right. Often that's what we're about here, kind of, sort of. Um, <laughs> Faison, I met Faison during the 2020 primary. He, I don't know your title. I just know that. Uh, you were like one of the head honchos that I was afraid to talk to because you were so laser focused on everything at all times. There was, there was, I don't know what I was, I must've been cutting up real bad. There was some, there was one time in the office I was being ridiculous and you were probably like running on <laughs> three hours of sleep, you know, hadn't eaten in several hours and you just, you just gave me this look like a, like a, like a, like a, like a first grade teacher who's like about to go off on the student, but like she has to remember that you can't you can't harm them. You just gave me this look. Like, please figure it out. Please don't waste my time. Please go sit down. Oh God. <laughs> I've got I have got the Bay Area to win. And I did I did just that. I just took my hoe ass and had a seat. And, but I was like, you know what? <laughs> At one point we're gonna talk to Faison and we're gonna learn his story because how did such a serious gentleman find his way to politics and i am dying to know 
I am I am learning a lot as you're saying this that that's the impression I'm leaving on people. Oh boy. You were so serious. <laughs> It's not bad, but yeah. you were like, you were yeah. serious yeah. because you had like a blazer on in the office and jeans with the like tech sneaker. Com- it, was a, it was a very serious, focused, sartorial text message <laughs> that you were sending people. Blazer, T-shirt, ASIC sneakers, um, dark wash jeans. It was just, you're, I mean, you're a serious gentleman and we appreciate that. That's probably why we did so well. Um, but take me back to the beginning. Um and let me know how we get there because you're because hold on before yeah. we get started yeah you are we're in Atlanta right now so and you're from here originally yes from here originally born and raised born and raised in Atlanta what brought you out to California you know I got a job out of college uh-huh. and that job happened to take me to Google uh-huh. back in the day yeah back in the day back in those days <laughs> um, <laughs> that's right and I lived my whole life in Georgia up to that point. Uh-huh. And I decided to take it and move out, and that was back in 2013. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then you you came back here after the campaign wrapped. I came back here uh, about a month before the campaign suspended. A few of us have been deployed to New York, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and around that time is when COVID really started started popping off. Popping off, and we got a call from our campaign manager, Feshik, here at the time. It was yeah. like, "Hey, get out of here. We don't want anyone who's not from New York to actually be in New York." Mm. And um, I discussed it with my mother, actually, and she was like, hey, COVID's getting bad. If you're going to come anywhere, you better come back, you know, come back to Atlanta, at least be with us during it. Sure. So I came back here at the time. Yeah, because I was, we was ready to pack up and follow you guys. Like, you guys were going out, deploying the first. Yeah. There were several of the Super Bowls. We were just like, all right, like riding high on Super Tuesday, just like, okay, fuck it. Let's, we, find the good fight. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Everybody figure out your sublet situation, but we go on fucking New York. Then it was like, Actually, <clears throat> you won't be going anywhere. Yeah. We're going to all just be at home and catatonic for two or three months. That's fine. Um, uh, I can see some reaction there. You no, know, because it was. Ju- I mean, I mean, yeah, I talked totally. to people in the campaign because I mean, not that it's super different from just regular people, but particularly if you were in a volunteer capacity or being paid on the campaign, just mm-hmm. being just like cheek to jowl with yeah. people nonstop all day, every day for, for months. And then going from that to just like net, like the opposite of that, just isolation. That was so jarring. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it's, mm-hmm. it was really, I, I, I'm not saying anything that everyone doesn't already know, but it was just extremely jarring. And that yeah. was just a very bizarre, just jilting between two very different worlds totally um but i mean we you know whatever we survived we're here now god bless joe biden won the like whatever anyway. <laughs> but we're gonna go back to the beginning because i i have to save my energy for talking about the current moment because i'm sure you have thoughts but um take me back to little Faison, yeah who was a serious baby and toddler and you know disciplinarian of his preschool class please tell me oh man okay <laughs> if uh, this is if this is how i've been this whole time no i it's not a bad i was i would i probably whatever i was doing i'm sure i deserved it because i don't know how to act so i'm just no i mean this. i i think it's great because you know if you ask my family growing up here in atlanta mm-hmm. i was kind of more of the joyous break really? the rules type no TPing people's houses. No, yeah. you were mischievous. I was mischievous. No, yeah. seriously. Especially in high school. Yeah. Really. I, um, okay, I wouldn't have guessed. You that. know, I had a group of friends that we would we would regularly just get together and contemplate whether we should TP a home, 
whether we should go to, you know, a teen club of sorts where we could go dancing. Yeah. And we would tell our parents, yeah, we're like studying, we're staying at home. <gasps> Phase on. And you were a naughty brown child. I, I was not I was a naughty brown child that got away with it. I so. I am scandalized. I'm really gonna try and make sense <laughs> of this. Okay. I don't okay. So it was <laughs> So it was really the Bay Area that did it to you. That just had to, uh, to hurt a little you bit, to be a honest. little bit the different way. Okay, all right. I, so, I, I think on you know I think on a real note I, I I was you know you asked me what brought me out of the Bay Area originally, and I was working um, a corporate job in big tech. Yeah. And I think I became very business like yeah. throughout those. I worked there for four years and you know still very much myself, but was just a very like. All right, let's get down to business. What's the plan? Where are we going to do yeah, it? Yeah, that's the phase People on I recognize. Slacking. Okay, let's get going, guys. What's going on? Like, yeah. And but I guess the corporate world will do that to you. Corporate world definitely, you know, puts enemy. I think I have no qualms about being that way. I think it it helps a lot with actually getting things done. Getting things done, and I'm also a believer at this point that you can get the you can get things done. Also, bring a lot of joy, bring a lot of laughter. Of course, of course. Not just be a serious face being like, okay, we got to win a campaign. Let's get going. Yeah, guys. yeah. But I mean, but yeah. I mean, to be fair, I mean, I was just being ridiculous. But to be fair, we <laughs> there was a lot riding on yeah. California for the campaign. Totally. Like it was the crown jewel. Like that was a strategy win California and you know, it wasn't going to be, you know, it wasn't going to be easy and it certainly wasn't. So your 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 stiff upper lip probably is really what you know, it was what was needed. So uh, I'm, I'm here to bring it when it's needed. Yeah, yeah. there we go. There- <laughs> From naughty brown child to taskmaster. To task- <clears throat> the oh, story God. of Faison. <clears throat> I'm here for it. Um, but you grew up here. You were you were born here. What born. part of Atlanta? Uh, Atlanta Midtown actually oh, is really? where I grew up. Yep. Okay. Okay. What um mm. where what was that like growing up here? Um, how old are you, Faison? I'm 30 now. Okay. Okay. Yep. So how was that growing up in ATL when it was you know popping, popping. as the kids say. You know, Atlanta today is such a different Atlanta than it was. Yeah, please tell here. people the difference because you just wouldn't know. I, mean, I love always hearing from like yeah, OG Atlanta I, people. I'd be uh-huh. happy to share. I mean, my family came here originally because they were immigrants in Pakistan. Mm. And they were doing their medical training here in Atlanta, Georgia uh-huh. at Grady and Emory. Hey, were and you a Grady baby? I was not a Grady baby. I was an Emory Midtown baby, which okay. is nearby. Okay. But uh, for those people listening, Grady's kind of like the big public health hospital mm-hmm. here. It's a... Uh, Supports a lot of people, and if you are a medical trainee of any sort in the South, I guarantee you'll spend some time actually in Grady. Yeah, that's it's right. just like the place you'll learn. You'll see everything. You'll learn everything there. That's right. It's a level one trauma center. It's a level right? one trauma mm-hmm. center. It's probably the only one actually if in, amongst the few states around yeah. Georgia. Yeah. So people come in from all Mississippi, over. Alabama, yeah. uh, Tennessee, and they all come to Grady because it's like you have a – Level one trauma. That's right. This is a place we're actually. When I was moving here, my realtor, like we were driving around, like looking at different places, whatever. And my realtor was, we were driving past Grady. She was like, listen, if you ever get shot, tell them to take you to Grady. I was like, um, okay. (laughs) Thanks for the FYI. Thank you for the tip. Cool, cool. (laughs) Go ahead. Um, Okay. So your parents came here from Pakistan. So they, they came here. They were, you know. Literally had never stepped outside of the country. My dad had spent a couple of years in the UK, uh-huh. but they were doing their medical training here. And uh, my sister had been born six years ago in Michigan. They were mm-hmm. moving down to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. They did their med school in Michigan, and they were moving here for residency. They did their med school up actually in in Pakistan and Karachi. Ah, and then okay. my they did kind of their first set of training in Michigan, mm-hmm. 
And then my dad got an opportunity actually down here at Emory and ah. Grady and decided to come down here and learn about the heart. Mm. Um, and, you know, I actually think that's an unco- that that's both a common and uncommon story to have mm. South Asian parents who've immigrated to this country who go into a field like medicine. And, um, and so my experience of growing up in Atlanta was actually that we were very much in the suburbs at the time, uh. kind of on the outskirts of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, suburban Georgia is, it's, it's kind of what you would, you would expect. Yeah. It's very white. Yeah. It's, you, you'd see a, a couple freckles of people of color, yeah. usually Asian or South Asians. Mm-hmm. And, um, growing up in that part of Georgia, it felt very much like, uh, okay, got to succeed in the ways that my high strung parents want me to succeed (laughs) (laughs) but the the suburbs of georgia also are not a extremely intense place in fact it 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 actually was a relaxing environment to actually grow up in Mm -hmm. you guys Um, you how long were you in midtown and then where did you move to the midtown was very early on like i think my first few years Mm -hmm. we moved to athens georgia for a period of time oh shit okay and then my dad came back and did some additional training back in atlanta when we moved back to atlanta he was working at Emory, uh-huh. but we were living actually in the suburbs, maybe like 40 minutes away from that gotcha, point. Gotcha, 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 It was a kind of an urban-suburban divide I gotcha. at that time. Okay, yeah. okay. And what was, how, describe for me your childhood, growing up as a naughty brown boy, getting away with yeah. the TM. <laughs> TPing people's houses. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think the, the very personal part of this is that uh, my parents divorced when I was 12, and I think ah. that actually created a little bit more leniency in me to actually break the rules. Ha! Because? Tell me why you say that. You know, I... I it, it was great. I we, we were in this kind of Pakistani Atlanta community. Mm-hmm. A lot of strong norms, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone wants their kid to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. Yep. And there's a lot of performance. Yeah. A lot of like, hey, my kid did this, or I did this, or, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of showcasing everything mm-hmm. from cars to houses. Yep. To, to which kid got into Yale, yep. which kid is going to medical school. Yep. And then I remember this so distinctly. There was a fracture in that. Mm. A fracture from the performance when my parents divorced. Because that had to be a huge, like... Huge not, anomaly at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this is early Still 2000s. Now. Yeah, yeah. And it was unheard of in Pakistan. Yeah. It was unheard of here in That's Atlanta. Right. And, um, you know... My my mom was kind of outcast from that community from yeah. that moment on. And mm-hmm. my dad, I think, was just kind of in a, you know, like in a, he's a single dad in that community space. Mm-hmm. And that definitely created separation between me and the other people I was ah. with. You know, I could I could be killing it at school. I could be doing so many other things. But mm-hmm. I was already at that moment intrinsically different. Yeah. And kind of marked. And marked. Kind of like a scarlet letter of sorts. Even oh, though you God. were a child and it's not I, your fault. You know what I mean? I remember, you know, the term we use in, in that community is like other parents we'd call aunties and uncles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember overhearing aunties and uncles be like, you know, a common gossip topic is like, oh, like, who do you want your daughter, your son to marry in the community? Mm-hmm. Who do you want like this kind of like yeah, yeah. marriage set up at like 14? Yeah. And my name came up and I was within earshot of it. And I remember this auntie saying, well, like, he comes from a divorced family, so, you know, we wouldn't want our daughter to actually be in it, in it, and it stuck with me for so long because I had been marked. You know, I had a scarlet letter on me that said, hey, no matter how good you are, Uh, you know, how 
good looking you are, how smart you are, how successful you are, you will be different and not actually, uh, and to some people acceptable in terms of our actual social ranking and things. Sure. That had a dynamic impact in the way that I started to orient myself around my own identity. What do you, tell me what you mean by that. Explain what you mean. So, you know, I think I was more okay just being a little bit more rebellious. Ah, that g- it gave you permission to be rebellious because it's like fuck it, nobody like no one, no one really, not uh, my words, not yours, but no one really like yeah. values me or sees any value in me anyway. So I might as well like be bad a little bit or or do do what I want, be a little mischievous because like I'm already I'm already you know I'm already I've already been marked. Sure, yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I think you know that's totally a part of it, right? Mm-hmm. And. Um, I think actually the way I compensated for that is I tried to actually create a lot of distance from that community. Ah, um, how? How? You know, I was go- I went to a, a Christian private school here in Georgia, mm-hmm. and um, they didn't know all this these norms and yeah. values and things that were going on in my personal life or my the Pakistani part of my identity. Mm-hmm. So. That part of me that was just like a Southerner, mm-hmm. that like became a bigger part of my identity. Uh, Rejected my Pakistani roots, my Muslim roots huh, at the time, huh. and kind of lived a secular life, but like one in which um, I was kind of getting to understand like how like Southerners, like yeah. I'm, and I'm talking, when I'm talking about Southerners, like people who are wasps, yeah. Southerners. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was one part. And I think the other part was like, you know what? If I'm going to be rejected here, mm-hmm. I'm going to actually overachieve like no other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna, to show you. Just to show you that like you don't know, even know what you're missing out That's on. That's right. I'm going to kill it at school. Yeah. I'm going to like join these activities. I'm going to be great at I that. have a great head of hair and you're actually <laughs> all really jealous and wish you had my routine down. Mm-hmm. And okay. you're going to wish that you actually got to be, you know, wow. like there was almost that like aspect of like, I will show you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... How- can yeah, I ask you a question? Please. What um did you how did your parents try and or how did your parents or did they yeah. try and like help you understand the 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 your new like social treatment as a result of their choice? Like did they were they just kind of yeah. like, you know, you know, don't listen to them, you know, you're still great, you're still my special boy, or just kind of like, ah, yeah, this is just kind of this is just kind of it and 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 like but you know mm-hmm. do your best with it you know what i mean like totally you know i think to set the context right like that was probably the first divorce that i can think of that happened in that community yeah yeah and so my mom and dad i think we're actually very much just like coming to terms with not just like the the dissolution of their marriage mm-hmm. but also the change in social function, mm-hmm. what it meant financially, what it meant emotionally, mm-hmm. and not really having a support system that was ah. a part of that Pakistani Atlanta community mm-hmm. that was really able to be maybe sympathetic at best, yeah. but you know there was really not a lot of empathy yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, so I remember my dad really struggling with this. With you know, I think his main his main treatment of me was like, "Hey, I'm going to make sure you're very well off materially." Ah. You're going to have the car that you want. Mm-hmm. You're going to make sure you have anything you ha- have at your mom's house. You're going to have at your dad's house. Mm-hmm. And you will never be materially. You'll never want for anything. You'll never want for anything financially. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
my mom kind of the opposite stake. Like, you know, I think she was like, like, I'm here to, you know, I know that I, I I'm here to be very emotionally supportive of yeah, you. Yeah. I will emotionally kind of care a lot for you. Mm. And, you know, I think they were doing the best that they can't could course. in that moment. Of course. I think for me, I just grew, I, I found myself growing up very quickly. Ah, uh, tell me what you mean. Where I had to kind of be a third parent. Hmm. Tell me what you mean. Yeah. Like, you know, I think one aspect of this is that I would be going in between my mother's house and my father's house. Yeah. And they necessarily wouldn't necessarily want to actually be in that much communication with each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So You're the go-between. The go-between, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. And I'd have to actually just, like, coordinate a lot. Ah. Something that I think a lot of kids at the time were like, oh, my mom's just going to pick me up. My dad's going to be here. I'm yeah. just going to go home I was doing a lot of thinking of what clothes do I need to pack? Uh, do I have the right textbooks for uh-huh, school? Uh-huh. Um, and have I communicated that with uh, my two parents? Uh-huh. Um, and, and I'm actually very thankful for it because it felt like a kind of a awokened, like a, a deeper sense of just like, how like seeing my people my parents as humans not just Mm. like oh these idyllic you know characters that are like impossible of Mm. doing bad Mm -hmm. it actually felt like oh my mom's actually really in grief right now or my dad's Uh, really in shock mm. what can i actually do as a a a person in that mix that's supportive to them and also Mm. is me kind of looking out for myself a little bit too. Do you, is another yeah. way of saying that, and tell me if I'm if Please, this is yeah. incorrect. But is another way of saying that you that you had to start kind of parenting yourself because your parents yeah. were going through their own human emotions and experience with this thing that, you know, maybe they didn't even they I'm sure they didn't foresee for themselves like you know the yeah. them being separated or whatever. But you had to start to parent yourself because. In their own ways, not that they didn't try their best, not that they, you know, were absent or neglectful, but th- but they had to kind of they were dealing with their own stuff socially, individually, um, and so you had to you had to become the person that was that you know kept everything straight for you and and you know made sure everybody else was okay mm-hmm. and 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 trying to navigate what that means for you to be okay as a child, like put in the situation, like you had to kind of parent yourself. Absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, uh. I had. A, I almost felt like at moments I had to almost manage my mom and dad's yeah, feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, uh, the other, the other piece I'll just put in around it is that I think pre-divorce, I could always assume that what my parents want for me is actually what I want for myself. Ah. And then post-divorce, I actually realized that in a very, very concrete and explicit way, like, hey, where are you going to spend your weekend with? Mm. Are you going to spend it with me or are you going to spend it with your mom? Mm-hmm. Um, I could actually see that sometimes, like, for maybe a place of pain, yeah. they were wanting me to show up or be in places that wasn't necessarily in my best interest or ah. aligned with, like, the commitments that we had made. Yeah. So I had to do that a little bit more additional thinking of, okay, my dad wants me to stay back with him. Uh-huh. Is that just, you know... I have a lot of compassion and empathy for that's coming from. Yeah. But is that, honestly, I was planning to spend this weekend with my friends. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, so I think just working through all those motions of, like, guilt and grief and and also wanting to, like, 
you know, not offend either of course. person too much. Yes, yes. It just forced a lot of introspection as to what I I also wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I what, think what was actually good what's for me. interesting is that yeah. what you're I completely understand what you're saying. My situation is a little different. Like I was like a grown ass woman yeah. when my parents were, but it was it's Divor- sim- yeah. very sim very similar. Like in my although we know you know American divorce rate is like fifty percent. Like in my corner of the black community where I came from, like people do not get divorced. Like that just doesn't happen, and everyone's just kind of like wait what like holy not that and it was different social dynamics in that like neither my parents were cast out or and neither were my brother and i so that was different but i what i'm hearing and and understanding is like the the trying to manage things in a way that feels equitable that is like compassionate that is um but that also leaves room for you to do what you want to do like that's that's it was it was difficult for me to start doing that at you know i don't know how old was i like 28 29 so i cannot Mm -hmm. imagine what it must have been like for a 12 year old where in some instances you don't really have a choice as a child i presume um but in other areas where or other times and other instances where you do have discretion it's just like exercising that discretion can be very trying and and like weighty so i yeah i can't imagine how oh man yeah Yeah. i mean a lot i don't know if you experienced this phenomena when your parents divorced Mm -hmm. but i i found myself especially as i was going through puberty in my adolescent years Mm -hmm. i would just look for the other kids who had divorced parents ah hmm. so my two closest friends Hmm. uh, both their parents divorced one had a really amicable divorce Yeah, yeah you know they invited like their ex-parent over for like christmas every year yeah 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 yeah. then the other one probably had it worse than i did you know Ah. she um you know i think her parents were kind of at each other's like neck Mm -hmm. every week Mm -hmm. i kind of found my family situation to be in between but yeah yeah yeah. i felt a lot less alone actually with sure with finding other people could really empathize with what i was going through yeah 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 kind of sort of i mean kind of sort of that happened it's not like i didn't expect but it was different. Like I'm, uh, you know, I was, I, I was at a different point. In a grown ass woman. Yeah, yeah. I was a gr- right. I was a grown ass <laughs> fucking woman. Um, but, but I, but there were people in my life who had also like, uh, you know, experienced, you know, parents separating and or divorcing that, you know, they, they, they could understand, they understood some things in a way that some of my friends who hadn't gone through that didn't. So you kind of, for me, I think I unconsciously or, unconsciously or subconsciously uh would would talk with them more about that that dynamic because it's just like okay you kind of get me not that my friends who didn't didn't get me but it's it's just a different level of like empathy and understanding um wow that had i just because i'm friends with many south asian people i i 100 (laughs) percent know how difficult i have an idea of how difficult that had to be for you and Jeez, Louise. Um, do you think that? Do you think that this that experience? Um, how, like, how do you think that that affected your interpersonal interpersonal relationships? Like going forward, are you always that guy mm-hmm. who's super cognizant and aware of like where everyone else is in terms of their feelings, what they're thinking, and that? And like, I don't want to offend here. Like, I'll accommodate or I'll, you know, I just I just want to keep the peace. Like, are you the peacemaker? Do you think in your adult life? I would not describe myself as the peacemaker ah, <laughs> at this okay. point, huh. but. You know, if I was to survey my close friends, yeah, yeah. people could interact with me. I think they would consistently say that I'm the guy that you sit down with. You're going to you're going to go like pretty deep with. Ah, OK. And I think I'm naturally drawn to not necessarily like the 
heavier darker motions, but just the Not the, the vulnerable experience that ah. people are actually going through that's yeah. oftentimes not seen or understood and mm-hmm. I think for me it is when I found that with other people ah. that I felt the the least alone in my experience. Ah, uh-huh. And I think that's a driving force in a lot of it is really wanting to connect with someone in such a deep and meaningful way sure. that I either didn't think I was crazy for going through what I was going through. Sure. Or I didn't feel alone with just ah. the experiences and feelings I was actually going through. At the I time. gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Was it doubly or triply difficult because your sister was so much older than you that mm. you were you were the only child still in the house? Well, I think what she was doing at the time was actually just getting me out of an environment that she considered toxic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the time, I was like, "This is, this is lame. This is a pain. Like yeah. I'm going to be with your three girlfriends. Yeah, and you're gonna just, <laughs> that's right. You're going to ask me to like walk six feet behind you and carry your bags, yeah. but." I think the really loving part of it was that she was very cognizant of the impact, I think, ah. a 12-year-old boy could actually yeah, go through yeah. seeing his parents fight a lot or see mm. his parents kind of their relationship dissolve. Mm. Now, when she left, um, you know, she went to college. Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of a saving grace for her because she got to kind of be outside of it. Yeah. And the impact it had on me is that I had to, I actually just had to live with it. Yeah, you, you were know, there. I had to actually go through those emotions right. and That's actually. Right. You couldn't escape it. You I had to be physically it, right? present. I had to deal with, you know, my parents separating and also the introduction of step parents. Oh, yeah. damn. Yeah. What was that like? You know, I, I was not a happy camper for the, those first first few years when my stepdad got introduced i thought uh, was he pakistani as well he's pakistani oh, actually okay. someone i knew growing up oh wow so he was not like a foreign figure yeah. but the role he played was actually so different from what i had known him to be uh, huh. and um you know i think all these very natural things come up like a sense of like territorialness yeah and, and that's like, my mama. That's don't, my mom. Don't be all up oh, yeah. on my mama, homeboy. That's oh, don't do it. I uh-huh. was totally a mama's boy growing yeah, up. Of and course. Like, I was like, who is this man right. that is um, coming up in my house? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I you know, and also just norms in the house, rules, small yeah. things. I just found myself being like, I am. This is not pleasant. It's not pleasant. I'll put up like a good face. I actually yeah. put up like a really good face for a lot of it. Yeah. What now did you have to navigate uh, the introduction of a stepmother with your father? You know, my my dad kind of he's very he's a very principled man. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I think he had this idea. He's like, I don't want to introduce a step parent until you go off to college. Uh, so that was less of a presence on mm-hmm. my dad's side. Mm-hmm. He's now remarried. Mm-hmm. I have a stepmother, mm-hmm. and um. You know, how how quickly after how soon did you have to get used to a stepfather? Like, how old were you when that happened? It was pretty soon. I mean, I'd say I don't remember the, you know, the exact timeline, everything. But I would say within a year of the divorce, Mm -hmm. my stepdad was at least coming to the house that I had grown up in Atlanta. I see. Um, And then I think they remarried about a year after that. Oh, okay. It's about two years after the divorce. Very quick. Yeah. Yeah. And that had to get the gossip mill running. Okay. Um. Did you did you grow up religious? Did you like pre-divorce? Question. I think around that divorce time, my parents and I also went a little bit secular. Because tell me tell me what you mean by that. What was pre-divorce? So what was divorce? Pre-divorce, and what was it was post? like doing the same things that other families did. Yeah. And 
So what that means, like, we'd go to, like, Quran school on yeah. Sunday mm-hmm. or, you know, we'd, we'd observe certain holidays. I don't think my parents, especially since they were doctors and more scientific, mm-hmm. ever were, were ever too religious. Mm-hmm. But they were culturally Muslim. They were culturally Muslim. And my dad, I think, attributed a lot of his divorce to, like, why did God let this happen to me? Ah. And my mom was not necessarily, I mean, she's always believed in, like, be a good person. Yeah, but yeah. It was never a spiritual conversation. It was more of an ethical conversation. Mm-hmm, with her. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned it because my sister, I think the primary way that she coped when she went to college mm-hmm. is that she actually found a new relationship with God. Ah. And Within um, the Muslim faith or outside uh, within of Within the... Christianity, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, she, she discovered that. Mm-hmm. She had some people at the college she went to who were Christians. Mm-hmm. And I think she really found like a sense of like atonement and peace in that from Was that did that make did that make things a little uh tense? Like come like on with her family of origin and and or yeah. the Pakistani community? Was it kind of like, oh, you let them get you know, like like what were we not good enough? You know, what did we do wrong to, you know, not keep yeah. you in this faith? I mean, there was a huge falling out, I would say. You yeah, know, yeah, my, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to speak too much for my sister, but sure. my, my, my perception of it was, you know, she found a community outside of that original community we grew up in. Mm-hmm. She wanted to put some distance between a place that was very, hurt, that ah, been very hurtful and gossipy. Yeah. yeah. And she, um, you know, found a relationship to God through her Christian friends mm-hmm. that is that she didn't really even share with us for a good amount of wow, time. Wow, she kept it to herself. You know, I, I, I had an inkling of it when I would visit her, but, you know, it wouldn't be until about 10 years later that wow. she actually would open up to mm. our parents around it. Mm. You know, I think for myself, I I also kind of felt like... It, it, it was torn. I would find myself, honestly when I felt very alone, I'd kind of weep out to God. I remember just ah. going on walks outside my home or when I got a car, yeah. driving to like a Kroger shopping complex. Kroger's like grocery store here. Yeah. And I would just walk around this Kroger shopping complex like crying behemothly. Mm. I mean, crying profusely. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. honestly kind of like praying out to God for... Relief. Relief or just like, just to feel a little less alone. And, ah, in the in the pain I was going through, mm. the, um, I, I think really when I got to college and maybe my time after there, mm-hmm. faith became a bigger thing. Ah, okay. faith was actually a pretty a pretty big part of why I even got into organizing. Really, and joined the Bernie campaign and really tell me tell me what you mean. Sure, yeah. So the truly vulnerable story is I had been dating someone. Mm-hmm. And she was not Muslim in background. Mm-hmm. And she's like, hey, I'm interested in moving this forward. But before we do, I actually want to put some like guardrails up. Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't want it. I don't want my kids to have Muslim names. Mm. I don't want them to be religiously Muslim. I don't want them to like, celebrate Muslim holidays. Mm. And funny enough, at the time, it didn't bother me. Because mm. I was so secular yeah, yeah. or so agnostic, maybe, mm-hmm. that... I was like, fine, if that's what it takes to actually, like, make it work with you, yeah. then, like, Then we'll do deal. it. Deal. Yeah. And, it did, you know, and as life kind of works out this way, and I do believe, like, life is a is a great teacher of many things, mm-hmm. that relationship didn't work out. No. And I kind of found myself looking at those things that at the time were very tactical mm-hmm. in my mind. Mm-hmm. 
as being part to my identity that I had rejected. Ah. Like, oh, the part of me that actually was born into a Muslim culture, a mm-hmm. Muslim family, a Muslim spirituality. Mm-hmm. I had put so much separation from that yeah. that um, I was so willing to kind of give that up. Yeah. So the f- in the aftermath of that relationship not working, I was actually really kind of like sad and depressed, kind of numbed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the first like feeling I had felt in my heart mm. after that relationship ended, it was maybe six months later, is I was seeing Bernie's 2020 kickoff video. Mm-hmm. And I just heard this guy speak and it like, I could feel a fire in my chest. Ah. And it was like, the f- the first inkling of like I feel alive again, huh? You know, really? like like d- when you say that, do yeah. you mean I feel alive again as like my whole self, not as a part I have to like cleave off for other people's kind of comfort or or delight, but like I feel like my I can be my entire self, you know, mm-hmm. w- with all the things that that means, um, because as a result of hearing this this message, or is it something else? You know, I wish I could I could speak to it at that level, yeah. but it, for me it was that I think I was very heartbroken uh, from this relationship. But heartbroken working. in what way? Heartbroken because you felt like there was a like the 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 relationship didn't work out because you you couldn't give up a piece of you that you couldn't give mm-hmm. up a part of yourself in order to to make this work or or what like what there's yeah. something there. Yeah, you know. One, the surface level heartbreak was, here's this person, girl of my dreams, Mm -hmm. and she chose to dump me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And all the hype around that. Yeah, yeah, sure. But I think the deeper one, and the one that kind of cut a little bit, yeah, a little bit deeper was, especially in the last few months of that, I was so comfortable compromising on myself. Ah! And I had to beyond grieving the loss of her mm-hmm. there was almost an aspect of like i can't trust myself ah because i am hey i'm so willing to kind of ah. compromise on yeah myself. yeah yeah and i think i was really beating myself up about that uh-huh. afterwards. like i i can't believe that i allowed myself I was like, what was i thinking yeah that? yeah 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 she like doesn't want someone with a muslim name and she's I, here's a guy his name is sayed face on rab that is a Muslim name. That, that's it. You know, and I was so okay. Like, like you know, what's in a name? Sure, you can say nothing, but you can also say that, like, a name is very much like... It's mine. It's mine. It's, it's who my, you are. It's, it's my community. community. It's my family. It's, it's my ancestors. It's everything. Like, it's, how, how are you... How are you... How are you... Yeah. How can you, like, be in relationship with me? Tell me you love me, but you... But you do, oof. God, there's something buzzing around my ears. <laughs> Sorry. Um, how can you <laughs> big ass pterodactyls flying around your backyard? How can you be in a relationship <laughs> with with me and say you love me, like me, the whole thing? But then you, but but you, but you're actually articulating like like a rejection of quite a bit of me. Yeah. And I and yeah. but I'm contorting myself to to you know I'm contorting myself to be okay with that because of my idea of you my aspiration to be with someone like you and what that might mean for me yeah I understand what you're saying mm-hmm. you know I I think it's exactly that yeah. you're I mean maybe you get a sense of that type of relationship yeah, yeah. this isn't about me 
Bazan, please mind Don't your turn business. This <laughs> no, 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 go ahead. <laughs> I, I think, I think I just felt, you know, the term that comes to mind. I felt very disconnected from myself. Yeah, of course, because you were. I, I was, you know, mistrusting of the thing, like how I would act, yeah. and I, what I pretended to be okay with, was pain. I was numbed out yeah. to it, and I was honestly looking for some kind of inspiration. Ah, and. I remember the moment so distinctly. I was put my laptop down on my kitchen counter, mm-hmm. and I think it was just like a YouTube recommendation that yeah, like popped up. See Bernie's like 2020, like announcing that he's running for mm-hmm. office this this primary. Mm-hmm. There's so many reasons why I loved working on that campaign, but I think the one that really appeals to me is like, here is a good-hearted person mm-hmm. who is authentic, mm-hmm. who is an believes in like humans, believes yeah. in being an underdog. Yeah. Is telling people no matter where they come from yeah. to be proud of who you are. Yeah. And it really it, it was a, almost like a spiritual message to me. Ah. That I was like, damn, here is someone that, yeah, politically I see eye to eye him, but I just look at this person and I see someone who has who in some ways may not be so different from myself in certain ways. Uh. He's speaking to the uh, this YouTube video, but I felt like he was speaking to me like directly. Hey, like, mend yourself. Believe in something bigger than yourself. Like, join other people and realize that you're not in this alone. Yeah. And fight the good fight because what else is life actually worth living for Uh. if you're not actually gonna, you know, sometimes put yourself out there, Mm -hmm. get hurt. Yeah. But you rise up again and you actually. Yeah. Um, make an attempt to make an attempt yeah I I remember just in my chest feeling like okay there's not many things I can trust right now but I can trust ah. this feeling in my heart to actually figure out how can I actually cultivate that more myself? but that was but I mean looking back you yeah. saying that that was a part of you beginning to trust yourself again uh, totally yeah I yeah, mean yeah, that's yeah, almost yeah. the the trip of it all yeah you know? yeah yeah he that <laughs> You know how there's these like you know these goofy ham-fisted like New York Times fucking stupid ass identitarian headlines, but yeah. I'm thinking of one now. Like a writer could pick this up. Like old Brooklyn Jew reignites trust of self in Pakistani Muslim. Muslim. <laughs> oh, an odd political love story. <clears throat> but no, I, you know, yeah, yeah, I I think the part of what I also love about Bernie and political organizing that goes even beyond this is like how I got into this was that I was a techie who was in love with someone that relationship ended. I was heartbroken uh-huh. and I, it forced a bait basically a bigger, uh, moment of introspection to be like, hmm. what are my values? Uh, what actually is not just checking the box on ha, life, ha. but is about giving meaning to giving life. meaning. Ah, uh. and one manifestation of that was actually becoming an organizer, being with people, yes. using all these skills that I had accumulated yeah. from being a high performer at places like Google and elsewhere. Yeah. And combining that with a genuine desire of like, I want to wake up hmm. and actually um, serve something kind of bigger than just my immediate ah. 
status and financial needs. Sure, sure. Ah, I came from heartbreak and romance. I mean, you it's, know what's I think funny? It's you yeah. have to listen. You've got to listen to Dan's episode because Dan similar in this very, way. Very, yeah. very, very similar. That's okay. So now. <clears throat> Everyone, just jot down in your notes. Just pause for a moment and jot down in your notes. Uh, pol- useful political psyop, heartbroken young men. Find them <laughs> and bring them into something because they are yeah. ripe for totally. <clears throat> uh, joining in with something larger than themselves. That's just a little note that I'll be making to start manipulating people who <clears throat> please do. Don't thank have you later. A <laughs> y chromosome. <laughs> Uh, no, that's beautiful. I, I understand what you're saying. Um, and your 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 story of coming to 2020 in that particular moment is like very very similar to to Dan. So that that tracks. Um, coming out of that relationship where you cleaved off parts of yourself to try and fit, you know, this young lady's like conception of like you know what she wanted or you know her idea of being with a good man or whatever the fuck it was. Did you come out of that um, kind of? Uh, with a with a did you come out of that finding your way back to a like being a proud muslim or having a muslim based mm-hmm. spirituality i don't know how you want to put that but was that kind of did you wind up back yeah. there yeah religiously so i th- i think that's the part of it that feels very connected to faith for me is ah. that you know i did a, a little bit of organizing with the SF Bernie Kratz mm-hmm. in the aftermath of that. Mm-hmm. And then in 2020? Uh this was 2019 and okay. 2020. All okay. right, uh, sorry. No, this was been 20 yeah, 2019. Mm-hmm. Um and I met uh a good friend and future boss and just generally good-hearted person Claire Lau. Boop boop Claire the god. Uh-huh. Claire the god, yeah, honestly. <laughs> and you know, I went in there being like, what? I'm just some like techie. Yeah. Like, what am I doing in this? Like, they're going to think dramatic I'm just like, leftist yeah. <laughs> organizing circle. We're so dramatic in that. So <laughs> I will leave that for later. <laughs> but, um, uh-huh. but, um, you know, I spoke to Claire and I kind of expressed my interest and she just happened to get pick up, picked mm-hmm. up a few months later to be the Bay area director. Yep. yep. And, I was volunteering with her and just saying, hey, I would really like to work with the campaign. Like, mm-hmm. this is my number one priority. And it just kind of became a perfect opportunity where yep. one of the constituencies that the campaign wanted to organize was Muslims ah. and South Asians. Mm-hmm. And she needed someone to also be in charge of Silicon Valley's organizing. Like, yeah. And we kind of formed like a little bit of like an alliance there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you were like, I speak engineer. I, can, I know how to talk to these people. Well, like <laughs> here are a bunch of techies who the part of me that really empathizes with them, you know, a lot of these high achieving techies, there's a reason that they don't go to wall street, right? Yeah. They, they have some notion that, Oh, in technology, I can be serving some like value or submission. That's somewhat true. But I think a lot of those tech companies, do good marketing around that. That's right. Only for you to find out that it's not that different. From, <laughs> it's truly not. But the heart of those people is really like, you know, if they can get past their fear of, you know, financial failure yep. or social status failure, yep. their hearts are actually more often than not wanting to actually do something that serves that's, people. That's exactly right. 
And I think Claire maybe saw in me, and I hope I'm not speaking too much for her. It's okay. But I got the sense from her that she's like, here's this kind of like strange specimen, this guy who worked at Google. <laughs> strange specimen. Who's willing to take like either volunteer for free or take a job here that will pay him very little. Mm-hmm. Who can speak the language of engineers and techies and all these other people. Who can also go into this community of Muslims mm-hmm. that's not that well organized. Mm-hmm. And you know, trust that he has a good heart, that his intentions are actually in a place of wanting to, like, really support this movement. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the faith part of this was that here was I, this guy that had really kind of divorced himself from religion and his Muslim background. Mm-hmm. And his Pakistani community. Being asked to organize Muslims in the Bay Area. Huh. And for me, it was, it was, it, it bridged a lot for me. Like yeah. it, I remember I met some of the initial Muslims for Bernie group yeah. from the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that this, this uh, gentleman says to me, his name is Abiel. He's like, it means so much to us that the campaign is willing to invest locally mm. in an organizer who is from a Muslim background. Ah, uh, Like just your name alone yeah. is actually means something to me that's right it puts me at ease a little bit well i had that moment where whoa about a year back i was in this romantic relationship where we were talking about not accepting muslim names and all that yeah and here i am a year later where despite not being a practicing muslim or not really being that much in touch with my faith at the time yeah i'm still actually being able to create a new relationship with people Ah. and my name is actually something that matters to them it matters for their representation and for Mm -hmm. them believing it's not just a symbolic gesture yeah yeah they're putting finances and time and resources into Mm. to organizing Mm -hmm. to having organizers like that yeah no that's beautiful that's a that's a very um this uh, not to not to get overly overly emotional and romantic about it but it's but it's very beautiful that it was through this through this um through this work that at the time, you know, connect, uh, your soul connected with is like, you were able to, you were able to come back to yourself, like as, as yourself and not someone else's like idea of a part of you. Um, so that's, I mean, I don't know. That's very, um, I think you're summing it up perfectly, which mm -hmm. is a part of my identity that I had basically excluded from the ages of 12 onward. Mm -hmm. Here I was, discovering that maybe faith does not have to be some purely ritualistic phenomena, but maybe actually being a good Muslim and finding other Muslims who have a similar interest is an experiential process. Yeah. It's about trusting other people and trusting yourself. And also, Ah. um, you know, not taking something like politics and divorcing that from actually faith. Actually, what if, serving people and organizing and empower, like working to empower communities maybe that is spiritual work because it is yeah. i mean we i mean i i did not grow up muslim but you know i i, I i'm conversant in the muslim sure. faith but what what else could how else could you operationalize a concept of god than you know making sure people have you know what i mean like totally what like how else like what 
is your conception of God worth a damn? Be you a, a Muslim or a Christian? If you know, if you're not, if you're not making sure that the hungry are fed, that you know, we you know bring peace to all nations and end war and you know stop incessant killing and sure. etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, yeah, of course it is spiritual. We don't. I think oftentimes, I mean. God damn, homie, we're just trying to record a podcast. That's cool. Yeah, let's build a house. <clears throat> okay, let's start from the beginning. Uh, I think I think a lot of people who come from faith... That's fine. I think a lot of people who come from faith, faith backgrounds or, you know, are religious or spiritual, however you want to put that, like, when we come into, uh, you know organizing spaces or some some corner of the political world because a lot of people in these spaces are you know rabid atheists or or at best ag not at best but or agnostic we 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 start to we start to uh like uh, this binary ends up getting getting formed where it's just like i'm a person of faith but that is completely separate from you know me you know you know working with so-and-so you know in order to organize people mm -hmm. you know this 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 labor strike or da 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 Be but it's but it's not it's not either or it's like it's both sure. and and, yeah. and and they they reinforce and feed each other like they don't have to they don't have to be these separate distinct parts of the self like you can bring them together you know not everyone is going to do that that's fine but it's completely okay to have you know some fidelity to faith or you know a faith practice and also be extremely explicitly political like they actually go very much hand in hand i like like that's how we got yeah. a malcolm x that's how we you know got a martin luther king that's how we got a gandhi that's how we you know you know etc cetera, etc cetera. all these luminaries well, throughout the I, ages i think it's a beautiful thing whether you just look at an organizing or more broadly but when you can start to actually integrate the different aspects of who you are yes instead of viewing that like hey that part of my identity is in opposition to another part yeah, of that's my identity right. One, I think you'll just feel more feel more at peace yeah. and at home in yourself. Yeah. But I also think I think it's a it's it's a it's it's where I think some of the most inspirational and beautiful work really comes yes, from. Yes. Of course. Integration. Yeah. All those things. That's right. Yeah. No, I'm no, I'm with you. Ha! Ah, interesting. God damn it. Why do you have something you do? I could easily talk to you for 15 hours. Um, okay, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I always have to ask these questions before we get back yeah. to your like college years okay did you have an understanding of your parents politic growing up like like their politic or their ideology mm -hmm. like did you have an understanding of that growing up or were they not very or were they pretty apolitical well i think my dad if i'm being honest probably voted republican for the first few elections oh wow okay yeah. all right i mean um, because he was what what do you think animated that well i think he was more of a centrist he voted for mm -hmm. clinton i think he voted for bush mm -hmm. and i mean i think it's one of those classic cases. I think this is very common in the immigrant South Asian community, especially with the Indian community, mm -hmm. um, is to be socially liberal and economically conservative. Yeah. And I think my dad was probably even socially conservative for a little bit, sure. economically conservative, because he was a he was a doctor yeah. to come to this country and just yeah. felt like, you know, I made it, why not others? Yeah. Now I think my mom had always tipped more in the democratic or liberal direction. Mm -hmm. Um, my stepfather happens to be actually quite politically involved. Oh, okay. I think I got some of that interest from him actually growing hmm. up. But he's a he's like a lib. He's kind of progressive. What I'd say he's probably more of a standard liberal. Okay, like he's annoying. He's what? He's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, yeah. 
the the dinner the dinner conversations will be like hey like your economic beliefs cannot be divorced from your social beliefs yeah and i think he's much more in the he's like a third way lib i think you know yeah yeah I mean, okay so i think that's where they're at my mom did you know I think because her son was working on the Bernie campaign, yeah. she like really turned out for it. Mm-hmm. But I think on the whole, they're much more of a mainstream, mainstream libs. They're just central. Yeah, you know, they're central annoying. Yeah. yeah, super. I mean, we love our parents, but you know, they're annoying. That's fine. Um, okay. <laughs> did you? <laughs> um, did you? Okay. When you were, where do you think you had? Ask this a different way. Are you able to? think back, remember, and try and describe your kind of nascent understanding of politics and or political ideology, mm. like growing up, you know, ha- you know, uh, take into account all yeah, that you were going totally. through. Like, where do you think you, quote, were kind of politically or ideolog- ideologically, like, let's say, like, pre-college or or up through the end of college? Think back. And like, was there an evolution? Yeah. Was it just kind of like, ah, I'm kind of checked out. I just, I'm, all, all I care about is like TPing people's houses, kind of like <laughs> being the, you know, the badass the brown hooligan, kid. Yeah, yeah, the hooligan who's been marked. Fuck you guys for writing me off. I'm a human being, but you're not treating me one. Like, you know, who the fuck cares? Like, I'm, you know, going to start making out with girls and I, I wish somebody would say something about it. Like, where were you? <laughs> I, so all the hooliganess was there. <laughs> But I'll tell you kind of the the, the change revolution. When yeah. I was in high school, it started. I picked up this activity called policy debate. Mm. It's very achievement oriented, yeah. very competitive. And what's great about it, though, is that you read a ton. Mm-hmm. You're learning about everything from philosophy mm. to politics mm. to geopolitics to the way the federal government works, the laws. So you're just accumulating all this information about a given topic yep. every year. Yep. And I continued that activity in college. And it was funny, like my understanding for the longest time of politics was like, okay, what you do with politics is that you sit in a room with a bunch of other like kind of like smart, witty people and you like banter. Mm-hmm. You like intellectually like to like yeah. talk about events and politics and yeah. like these things. Um. And I had a friend who um, went to the um, Oscar Grant rally mm. in Fruitvale. Mm-hmm. He was from the Bay Area. And he came back that summer and he's like, guys, I don't know what we're doing. Ah, Like we're all really articulate, really smart. But we're just like sitting in a debate room like nebulously kind of having arguments with each other mm-hmm. and he started this organization in college called students for worker solidarity ha huh. and it was all about the cafeteria contract mm-hmm. at emory which i went to undergrad uh they weren't giving benefits to their employees yeah uh, sodexo was the contractor sodexo was the contract Fuck sodexo uh-huh and so here's this guy at, you know a 20 21 year old mm-hmm. who was using all these brilliant skills he had to actually Form petitions, organize, yeah, have sit-ins on the president of Emory's campus. Ah, and it took years, but it was actually successful. Like they cut their contract with Sodexo and actually wow. 
got benefits, made sure everyone had like a, a baseline level of benefits. Right on. Why do you think that he chose that? Like, why do you think that was where he threw down his gauntlet? With, uh, With the uh, cafeteria, cafeteria workers. workers, yeah. Well, for him, and he's always kind of this eccentric and curious guy, but we had a cafeteria hall, and I think he just started talking to the cafeteria workers. Yeah. Like, hey, when one of you gets sick, like, what happens? Mm-hmm. Or, like, do you guys have to pay to transportation to get to work every day? Like, how far are you guys coming from? Mm-hmm. Oh, Lithia Springs or Woo! College Park? Like, Yikes. Um, are they paying your MARTA passes, which is, like, the public transportation system here? Uh-huh. And he just started to form this narrative of, like, dang, Emery's really undercutting these people. Yeah. And they're primarily black and brown. Yeah. Um, they have all no poor. job protection. They're yep. all poor. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I could go win another debate tournament, which mm-hmm. means nothing. Yeah. Or I could actually make an impact on someone's life by, mm. like, creating some kind of awareness from students who are honestly having a very intellectual experience of these things. Yeah. And actually create an, exper- an experiential people-centered way of actually yeah you know where there is some concrete where the where if we do our job correctly there's a there's a concrete result benefit like people's lives will materially improve like someone will actually feel less stress in their life someone will actually feel like they are being seen they're acknowledged in this community um you know a lot but not just that but the the concrete material Yes, absolutely. Yeah, well, like, I mean, not that there's nothing to, but, but, the, but, I mean, we have to. My opinion in this sure, isn't absolutely, your fault. Please. But we can't, we we can't like being like I see you, I hear you, bitch. I want benefits. Yeah. I want to be able to be seen by a doctor. Yeah. I want to be able to be heard by an audiologist because I don't want to be deaf at you know yeah. fucking four. You know what I mean? Like there, like there's there has to be something tangible also at the end of this, not just you know like ah, I see you, but. You know, you're not getting paid. To I, I think that was exactly what my friend. His name is Alex. Alex Avell, and I would like to be introduced to him because I would like to talk to him as well. Um, but so we'll I, I will I'll give you a quick disclaimer that sure. a few years later he actually committed suicide. Oh my god! So and he was in Oakland at the time, and I, I think it Oof. kind of is a part of the the. You know, I think some of his energy definitely carries with me in terms of my own interest with workers' rights and yeah. people's rights. But yeah. the you know this gentleman. Um, he did this thing where he's like, hey, Emery, you have a mission statement. Mm. It says these values. Yeah. Here's your Sodexo contract. Ah. It seems like there's a misalignment in the values. Hmm. What is your response to this president of Emory University? Oh, wow. Took a lot of guts, took a lot of, of courage course. for a 20-year-old guy. Yeah. But, and a lot of people were like, who's this crazy guy who could be like going to like parties and, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, living a normal college life? Yeah. Why is he getting on the lawn of our campus and actually demanding that the president respond to this? Ah. But it, you know, for me, a guy that was a friend of his who came to some of those events, Mm -hmm. it started to kind of awaken me that, like, yeah, politics can't just be this thing you think about. It's actually this thing that you You do. You do, and you advance Ah. people's lives in a meaningful way. Ah. Stop thinking. I mean, all these people who are like, Galaxy brain, galaxy fuck, brain. Yeah. Go to great universities. Like, get out of your head for a moment and mm. actually go be with people. Ah. See what people need for uh-huh. a moment, and like, you'll sleep better at night. I promise you. If uh-huh. You can actually go spend your time that way. Then was was that the change for you? Like from like politics as you know as a you know uh, d- discussion thought exercise like wonkery to like 
like an action, a verb of like, yeah, uh, that is supposed to result in something and mean something to people and their lives. You know, I think this was the first crack in that. Mm -hmm. And I think the second crack is this friend Alex I'm describing. He was working in um, in cannabis policy in Oakland. Ah, he was working with everyone from farmers up in Humboldt County to, Mm -hmm. you know, people who had been wrongly incarcerated. Mm -hmm. People were trying to open up dispensaries. Mm -hmm. And he was a wonkish policy type that, like, was really good at speaking to a large range of people. Mm -hmm. And um, when he, when he, you know, he committed suicide, and it's unclear as to, you know, what was the exact reason at the time. Sure, sure. Um, A part of how I paid reverence to the story was, was, like, how can I also carry some of that mantle ah. maybe cannabis is not the thing for me but uh-huh. what if there's a broader politics here that's based around protecting workers and farmers and uh. people wrongly incarcerated mm-hmm. and what if i actually gave more of my life to that mm. than you know a still fairly intellectual place like google i gotcha yeah was that in the, in ah and maybe i'm again being too romantic but Please, is that yeah. a way to to not just honor his life and how that affected you, but also honor your own life. Like while you're here. Yeah. I honestly, I can't disconnect those things. Yeah. You know, I, I think a part of how I've come to peace with Alex's mm. Alex's passing is that, you know, and, and I don't mean this in such an instrumental way, but like, how do I, how do I allow myself to be moved by this? Yeah. 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 You know, if I just went back doing the exact same thing I was doing right after he passed away, yeah, I think I'd feel a little bit insane. Yeah, but allowing him, allowing his his passing and his energy to really kind of stay with me, flow to me, and yeah. actually, in what I, you know, it's funny how spiritual this conversation I'm having with you, Janelle, is, but it really is this way to me, move me in a way to actually get into things that work with people. Yeah. Um. That's, that's how I pay, you know, homage to him. I also yeah. pay homage to myself. That's right. For what really lines up with who yeah. I. I mean, that's a not yeah. to ah not to do. The, I mean, we're already here. Yeah. I mean, and ah, I know we don't necessarily. You don't necessarily live here because this is like a part of kind of like African cosmologies. But like, sure. because he is an ancestor and he is he is your ancestor. Like that is a testament to the the way he lived his life while he was on this yeah. side of consciousness. Like that that it it makes sense that you still ha- maintain this connection in this way with him now that he is an ancestor. So yeah, and yeah, it makes Absolutely. complete sense. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but I can't help but get all mushy about the old Jew from Brooklyn helping the young Muslim reclaim a big piece of himself. (laughs) Okay, that was me trying to sniffle. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Come back tomorrow where we continue on Faison's journey through post-college and the existential crisis he experienced while working in tech. This crisis not only led him to political organizing, but also deciding to go to med school. Okay, see you tomorrow.